life is going to be hard regardless. Everybody has hard shit going on, but it's how we use it as a catalyst to move us forward or to just keep us stuck. Yeah. What makes the big difference? One of the very first things you learn in NLP that you're supposed to relay and teach your clients is the power of cause versus effect. So you want to bring the client or any individual to look at their life and live from a place of cause, being at cause for their people, places, and things, scenarios in their life rather than effect, which is what most people do where you're making excuses like, oh, well, I can't do that because this happened to me, or I can't do that because I was brought up in this socioeconomic class. I can't do this. Um, Instead, you know, we don't get to control what happens to us, like you just said, but we can control how we're going to choose to react to it. So we can choose to react to it from a place of personal power, victory, um, empowerment, because there's often healing that needs to be done before you come to that place and taking ownership of the healing that needs to get be done. Or you can just sit in misery, wallow in your sorrows and say, well, life's just hard and I'll never get to where I want to be because this happened. How is that serving you? It doesn't get you anywhere closer to where you want to be. It doesn't make you any happier. So why would you choose that option? Hi, and welcome to the Endo Bay podcast. I'm your host, Chelsea Bree. I'm an ultrasound tech turned endometriosis coach, positivity and self-love advocate, a seven on the Enneagram, and I am a proud dog mom. And I'm on a mission to help you live more positively with endometriosis and be happy in your body. On the Endo Bay podcast, we're going to dive deep into all things endometriosis, mindset, self-love, health, and so much more. This is a badass podcast for badass endo babes. And I want you to leave this podcast feeling inspired and empowered on your own health journey with more confidence and the belief that you too can have more good days than bad. Are you with me, babes? See you in the podcast. This episode is brought to you by MJoy. MJoy is an audio well-being app specialized in female pleasure and sexual wellness with science-backed content. Their purpose is to normalize female sexual well-being as a key part of wider well-being and self-care. MJoy is helping over 300,000 women achieve sexual well-being goals such as increasing their libido, climaxing consistently, learning new techniques, and having more fulfilling relationships. The app has over 500 audios of science-backed content created by sex and relationship experts. With over 200 sexy stories, they also have fantasies for any desire. Whether you're new to exploring yourself, wanting to spice things up, or just wanting to improve your mental health and self-care routine, MJoy has something for you. There's even a collection about endometriosis by yours truly in the app. And for EndoBabe podcast listeners, we have teamed up to give you a free 14-day trial of the app. Click the link in the show notes to get your free trial now. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the EndoBabe podcast. This episode, I chatted with Rachel Joy, who's a board-certified trainer and master practitioner in NLP, EFT, time techniques, clinical hypnotherapy, and life and success coaching. Rachel and I are kindred spirits. (laughs) We must have been on the same life path. I feel like Throughout our conversation, we just kept going back and forth like, oh my gosh, that happened to you. This happened to me. We dove into so many topics from co-regulation to nervous system regulation to parenting to addiction to trauma 
to healing from trauma, to using NLP and the mind-body technique. There's so many goodies in this episode, and I know you're going to really love Rachel. So let's dive into the episode. Welcome, Rachel. I'm so excited that you're here. Thank you for having me. I'm excited too. So I usually get started by having you share with everybody who you are and how you got doing what you're doing now. Oh man, the big heavy loaded question right off the beginning of every podcast interview. Who are you? How'd you get here? Um, it's such a hard question to answer because how do you put in, you know, like 30 years of life experience into like oh, two minutes? It's difficult. So in a nutshell, very, very small nutshell, grew up um, in an upper middle class family, the youngest of two older brothers. I'm the only girl. Uh, always felt very different, like I didn't belong, suffered greatly with depression and anxiety right up until my 20s. I always say that I didn't know what happiness was until my 20s uh, when I started my own healing journey of self-love. And you know, obviously there was a whole lot of stuff in childhood at that point in time that brought me to that point. But let's focus on the last 10-ish years because that's really where things started changing. So um, I arrived to a place where I didn't want to live my life the way I was living anymore. I entered into a residential treatment center, spent 60 days there, started to really level up on myself, learn about who I am, why I am the way that I am. Um, and from there I went into, I I was in my twenties. So same like college stuff, like figuring out your career, went into addiction counseling and um, from addiction counseling, it was great. I loved it. It was great for me. It was great for my clients but it was very heavy. And like, I was dealing with certain like topics that I didn't, that were triggering for me, essentially. Like I didn't want to work with them in that way, but I knew I deeply wanted to help people. So I transitioned into health coaching and then health coaching turned into business coaching and business coaching turned into training and certifying other coaches. Cause there was this gap where I was able to support my clients in having them get results, but they were having trouble. They would sign the client, but then they didn't really know how to create a transformation for their client. So I was like, what's that missing link? And I noticed that they didn't know what I knew, which was the years of therapy, years of education they had, and particularly NLP, which is neuro-linguistic programming, which is essentially the language of the subconscious mind. And our subconscious is responsible for 95% of all thoughts, feelings, and behaviors. So if you know how to communicate to your subconscious then you're going to be able to create change in a much easier, faster way. So I transitioned into coaching and training coaches and certifying them in that. And um, that's my main segment of my business today. Although I am a mom to a two and a half year old, and I am currently transitioning into supporting mompreneurs as well, because as I continue my own personal journey of life, I'm noticing how much more there's still to go in terms of inner child healing. Uh, when you want to, you know, curate this little human into this empowered, confident, patient, kind, caring human without putting your own projections on them or without creating generational patterns that you want to break, et cetera. So um, that's me in a nutshell. That's where I got helping you retrain your brain and body to get on board with the life you want, essentially. Yeah, that's beautiful. It's really like the science behind creating the reality of your dreams and creating the life of your dreams. I love that you said that because I always say that NLP is basically the science of manifestation, like the law of attraction, the visualization, all that. Yeah, okay, that works. But let's take it a step deeper as well. For sure. Isn't it? So I don't have children, but I feel like I hear a lot of parents talk about this 
is once you have children and you, like you said, you want to curate them into this like empowered little human, but a lot of the things that you see in them are things that are so triggering for you. Oh yeah. (laughs) (laughs) How do you work through that? Man, well, like your children are literally mirrors for your work. Like you said it so perfectly. And so for me in particular, I would say the biggest struggle I have right now, and I'm sure I'll have more, he's only two and a half, but the biggest challenge I see is I see how he's a sensitive soul, just like I was. And I know how, how hard the world can be for sensitive souls. Um, you know, if you have thicker skin going out into the world can be a lot easier. Whereas when you have sensitive souls, you got to communicate to them a certain way. Otherwise they can feel big emotions and the world's taught us to shut down those emotions. Like it's not okay to feel those emotions. So I'm really trying my best right now to teach him how to one, feel those emotions rather than shut them down. And two, teach him how to manage those emotions. Cause while you want to feel them, you don't want them to override them. And he's a toddler. So every emotion is big. <laughs> and then three, also take a step back while teaching him that so that I'm not putting my projections onto him. Like for example, oh, he's going to be a loser or, oh, he's not going to belong because he's a sensitive soul and cries in class or whatever. Because like, those were my ideas. Those are my projections when I was a child. But who's to say that that's the way it's going to be for him just because he's a sensitive soul. So that's where the double whammy is of like doing the work for your child, but then also doing the work for yourself to make sure that you're not projecting those beliefs onto them. Because if I am projecting that belief onto him, he probably will grow up in that way because of how I'm interacting with him compared to seeing him as that fully independent, empowered person that we were just talking about. So how do you do it? A lot of reprogramming, a lot of reprogramming, a lot of nervous system regulation um, and a lot of co-regulation, which I'm learning. I literally just, I'm in week two right now, but parenting coaching certification that I just started. So I'll let you know more when I know more. (laughs) For sure. For anybody listening, who's like, what the hell is co-regulation? What is that? Oh, great question. Okay. So uh, let me give you a little lesson first. So nervous system regulation is a term that's becoming very, very popular. It's something that people are waking up to recognizing that we all need to regulate our nervous systems, not just people who have PTSD, for example, or some type of traumatic event. Nervous system regulation is essentially when we regulate our nervous system, meaning we are bringing our nervous system into a place of homeostasis, into a place of harmony. Most days we are all operating either in our parasympathetic or sympathetic nervous system, meaning we're in that flight or flight state, either we're in hypervigilance or hypovigilance. So either on, we're stressed, we're doing things, we're so busy that we can't even stop to feel our emotions as a way of avoidance, or we've completely shut down, we're lethargic, we're, um, not feeling connected to the world, our career, our relationships, etc. Both of those are activated states. We just enter into one or the other, sometimes both, depending on the situation and how we've learned to cope. So with that, our saber-toothed tiger of the day in 2022 is not, you know, exactly that being hunted in our caveman years. It's our finances, it's our relationships, it's our career that we dread going to commute to. It's all of our day-to-day tasks, yet our brain, our reptilian brain still associates to those tasks the same way. So we're in flight and flight and we have to bring that back down into harmony or homeostasis. 
So that's nervous system regulation. Co-regulation is when you're supporting your child in doing that or somebody else who doesn't know how to do it themselves um, in doing that for themselves because between the ages, I don't remember the exact stat. I think it might've even been 18 years old. I know for a fact it's seven and under, but between those, particularly in those early years, children don't know how to regulate their nervous systems. They don't know how to make sense of the world. They don't know how to make sense of their meaning of them in relationship to the world. So it's important to support them in co-regulating their nervous system because they literally cannot do it for themselves, even if they were taught how to do it for themselves. Right. Right. And so they come to you as a model. Yeah. Right. And when they're really young, a lot of those things can be really traumatic for them if they're having really big emotions and they're told to just shush or like be quiet or go cry alone in your room, you know? Yeah. Like all of that can be so traumatic and stay with you up until you learn how to like reparent yourself and discover all of these things that happened to you as a child. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. Cause now the kid is crying in their room, not only upset about whatever they were upset about, but then they're making the association of when I cry, I get rejected. When I cry, I'm not good enough. I get sent away, which is Mm -hmm. actually counterproductive. A lot of times parents will say, go to your room because you need a timeout. Like you just need to cool off. But the parents aren't recognizing that the kid actually doesn't know how to cool off. So it's becoming counterproductive and they're making all these negative associations with it. Um, The simplest way I can explain co-regulation is think of a newborn. When the newborn's crying, whether they're hungry or just need a cuddle, whatever it is, they need you to tend to them. They cannot feed themselves. They cannot cuddle themselves. They cannot put themselves to sleep at at that age. That's essentially co-regulation in its simplest form. Interesting. I love that you're learning about that. Yeah. I'm, it's just so fascinating because from my background, um, you know, coaching other people and what I know about reprogramming the subconscious mind, I've, it's almost like I've discovered this whole other layer went through working with people for five years. Now I've noticed that it's so important to take a trauma informed approach because even people who haven't experienced trauma have experienced trauma in some way. So trauma isn't necessarily like a big life-changing event like it has been for me. Trauma can be being made fun of on the school playground by your crush, for example. Like it could be something so small, but if that person remembers it as this big life-changing moment or how they relate to the world or themselves, that can be trauma. And so underneath that, there's all these beliefs that we then associate and take into the world with us right up to our adult years, like you said, that we then have to do the work all around. Oh, there's such growth in you start digging and learning all of these things about you. And then for me, like I wanted to learn more and I wanted to learn more and I wanted to learn more. And it didn't really feel like growth in the time, but like looking mm-hmm. back from where I was seven years ago, when I first started all of my healing journey, like yeah. I am light years ahead. I don't even really recognize that person anymore. Yes. 100%. I so agree. You just reminded me that when I was, um, 18, 18, 19, before I went to treatment, I was in the rooms, uh, I was in the 12 step rooms and my mom, uh, is a recovered, uh, alcoholic. And so she was a good model for me and she was in recovery at the time. And she, I was crying to her because like at 18, you're in your prime stage for parties, you're having fun. 
And I was crying to her. I'm like, I don't get it. I do all the same things as my friends. Why aren't they having to do this? Like I wanted the change, which is why I was doing it. But I felt like I had no other choice to have to do this change and do the work. And there's so much resistance at first. (laughs) Then you fall in love with it, but, and you want more, but at first there's so much resistance. And I said, I don't get it. And my mom's like, Rachel, you're 18. You don't, people don't really line up out the doors to go to AA, but I bet you many of them will be there one day if they don't decide to change. And so that was like a, you just remind me of like that resistance. Like, yes, I love it. I'm addicted to personal growth now, but at first change is scary. Growth is hard. Looking at yourself in the mirror at all your flaws and insecurities can be uncomfortable or will be, I won't say can be, it will be uncomfortable. If you're doing it right, it will be uncomfortable. (laughs) And so most people want to avoid that completely. Totally. And I feel like for a lot of people like myself and you included, it's some big life, well, not life-changing thing, but something kind of big that makes you have to make that choice like, okay, I can keep going down the road I'm on right now, or I can make a change and improve my life and improve my quality of life and start feeling better. So like, which way am I going to go? When like my healing journey, like I was diagnosed with endometriosis, you know, you're told you're going to be in pain forever. It's incurable. Like you're infertile at 21. Like you're never going to be able to have kids. You're going to be in pain, like whatever. Um, and so I thought my body was broken. So I chain smoked and I drank in excess and I, um, I have ADHD, but like I was doing more Adderall than I probably should have been doing. And like all of these things, just so I could like party and disassociate and get away from the reality of what was happening. And I didn't really like the person that I was becoming, you know? And yeah. so I had to make that choice to start like taking better care of myself. And here I am now. <laughs> And I'm very glad I made that choice, but man, it was hard. Yeah, it is hard. And it's so interesting how like different stories, different um, rock bottoms, let's call it, but similar behaviors and patterns and come to Jesus moments as well. Yeah. Which is really cool. Come to Jesus moments. Yes. (laughs) Good way to put it. (laughs) Or the uh, dark night of the soul moment, your spiritual awakening for those of you who aren't connected to religion. And I'm Jewish, so I'm not, I'm just saying that as a yeah. saying, not, not for those that are kind of like, I'm being aware of those who are like, ex-religion, right. <laughs> I still want you to receive the message. So if you don't resonate with that word, just change it to a spiritual awakening. <laughs> or a dark night of the soul. Yeah. Yes. That's also or that. <laughs> <laughs> um, beautiful. So where, like for you in that moment, because you said that you got to your rock bottom where you, and you were partying and doing all of these things, like if you hadn't made that change, like what would your life look like now? Okay. So this is the trippiest part. <laughs> I love sharing this now that I'm a mom, but, um, um, the moment where I like said I had to make a change, I, um, had just gone in a fight with my mom. I was, she was saying like, don't go out and party tonight. Don't do that. I'm like, mom, I'm not doing that. God, like you should have more trust and faith in me. Bullshit. <laughs> I hope I can swear here. Sorry about that. Totally. <laughs> okay, cool. Um, I was, that was exactly what I was doing, but we had just gone in one of our like worst fights. It was always the same topic, but worst fight. 
And I have a family member. One of my siblings was using at the time and he was using harder substances. And so um, I was at the point where, you know, weed and alcohol weren't getting me high anymore. And like, it didn't matter how much I smoked. I would smoke all day, every day. And I just was not, I want to say numb because I was like numb to society and who I was in the world. I was dissociated, like you said, but I wasn't numb in the sense that I wasn't high. Like I could not get high anymore. And so I was like, I'm going to have to do something harder. I'm going to have to do something bigger, better. And I would go to my brother's room a few times. I've done this. I would open up his little wooden box of his stash of goodies. And I'd look at it and I'd be like, should I, shouldn't I, should I, shouldn't I. And the last time I did that, I went into his room, opened the box, held a plastic bag with a little something in it. And I'm looking at it. I'm like, should I, shouldn't I, shouldn't I, shouldn't I. I entered in and out of his room like five times that that day in a span of 20 minutes, I was home alone. I go, nope, not going to do it. Yep. Going to do it. Nope. Not going to do it. And the last time before, when I put it down, before I like put the box away, for some reason I had a flash forward or a deja vu. I don't know. Flash forward. I call it. And it wasn't flashback of me as a mom. And I knew that if I continued down that road, like you said, if I continued down that road, I would fall in love with it too much because I would find relief from the pain of my emotions, the mental jail that I was putting myself in. And I would, you know, end up having to put my children through the pain that I experienced of my mother going to treatment. My mom was a functional alcoholic, but despite her being a functional alcoholic, it still deeply affected our family, particularly me with my mom you know, suddenly I'm the only girl in the house. I'm the mother of the house for 60 days at age 11. Like it still deeply affected me, even though for the most part, it was a functional home. Um, so I just saw that moment in my life. And I was like, I don't want to be that mom. Like, I don't want to hurt my kids in that way. Despite my mom being a fantastic mom in all the other ways, it still deeply hurt me. And so that was when I put it down. Cause I knew if I don't stop now, I probably never will. And then I spoke mm-hmm. to my mom. I was like, mom, I need help. This is what's really going on. And then literally a week later, I was on a plane to Salt Lake city, Utah to go to a residential treatment center. Man, what a yeah. beautiful realization. <laughs> and the craziest thing when I say it's the trippiest part is that now that I'm a mom, I literally have the life that I like made sure I was going to have. And when I got well, I wasn't getting well with that intention. That was just like the wake up call. Like the intention, once I started getting well, was just to find happiness, just to find my next career path to, you know, move on with life and be a normal person in society. Um, And yet that bigger vision, that bigger declaration that I made has come to life. And I get to do that for not only myself, but other people as well, which is something I wouldn't have ever imagined. Yeah. It's a beautiful story. Well, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It's interesting because when you're talking, um, I grew up in a household of addiction as well. And it is. And I mean, it's not like at the time, you know, like that's just your life and you don't realize that's what it is Um, when you're a little kid. Right. And growing up and then after going through my dark night of the soul and like still like I drank, but I gave up really everything else. Um, And this last year I've cut back on drinking almost altogether. Wow. Um, And it just doesn't. And I, I mean, I had like a traumatic 
my mom passed away mm-hmm. um, from addiction, being like addicted to painkillers um, because she has had undiagnosed endometriosis forever. Wow. So she was in like so much pain um, and she coped using drugs and alcohol and she tra- got to the point where like she wanted to stop, but then like she couldn't. Right. And then her, yeah. she did stop, but it was too late and her, um, her liver failed. And then she got a bowel obstruction from adhesions from her endometriosis and that's what killed her. And I think wow. it was like that for me, I was like, my God, you know, like it was just like another <laughs> dark night of the soul for me. I'm like, I don't even really want to drink at all. Like once we have kids, like, I don't think I'm going to drink at all. Well, like, it's like, it's not even good for your body period, let alone your mind and everything else. But I agree with you. It's interesting how you said I have another dark night of the soul, because I think we have more than one come to Jesus moment Mm -hmm. in our life. Um, And I feel like for you without even fully knowing who you are, I feel like that was almost confirmation that you're on the right path with the work that you're doing and also your own personal healing journey. Like your mom gets to be the catalyst for you to just continue that and, and take it a step deeper, but also create the legacy that you're creating for other people as well. Right. And And that trauma for my future children. Yeah, exactly. And I had a very similar second dark night of the soul moment that brought me actually to make this transition into supporting mompreneurs instead of just coaches, because, um, I had a very traumatic, uh, childbirth with my son, Nate, that, um, I was not prepared for. I was not expecting it to be traumatic at all. I thought it was going to be rainbows and butterflies and just so incredible. And the fourth trimester hit and all of my childhood trauma that I thought had once healed literally came up all over again for me to heal a deeper layer. Um, And that actually put me into some spiritual bypassing at first. Like I just channeled all my energy into work, my identity into work, because I didn't know my identity as a mother and I didn't want to know my identity as a mother. So entrepreneurship business was something I was great at. And I just wanted to channel all my energy into that. So I didn't have to feel any of the other stuff. Um, And I would not be where I am now doing the work that I'm doing now, supporting parents and educators and moms in business if I hadn't had that second dark night of the soul moment as well. Yeah. And now you're coming full circle, right? Because like what we were talking about in the very beginning, where our kids just like trigger little things for us (laughs) (laughs) over and over and over again, (laughs) Yep, (laughs) having to do the work. (laughs) Mm Mm-hmm. 100%. But it is beautiful. I think we experience hard things in our life. Like life is going to be hard regardless. Everybody has hard shit going on, but it's how we perceive it, I guess, or how we use it as a catalyst to move us forward or just keep us stuck. Yeah. What makes the big difference? One of the very first things you learn in NLP that you're supposed to relay and teach your clients is the power of cause versus effect. So it, you want to bring the client or any individual to look at their life and live from a place of cause, being at cause for their people, places, and things, scenarios in their life, rather than effect, which is what most people do, where they're making excuses like, oh, well, I can't do that because this happened to me, or I can't do that because I was brought up in this socioeconomic class. I can't do this. Blah, 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 blah. Um, instead, you know, 
we don't get to control what happens to us, like you just said, but we can control how we're going to choose to react to it. So we can choose to react to it from a place of personal power, victory, um, empowerment, because there's often healing that needs to be done before you come to that place and taking ownership of the healing that needs to get be done. Or you can just sit in misery, wallow in your sorrows and say, well, life's just hard and I'll never get to where I want to be because this happened. How is that serving you? It doesn't get you anywhere closer to where you want to be. It doesn't make you any happier. So why would you choose that option? Right. And what are the thoughts that come up when you're saying those things to yourself? Yeah. Like shitty, shitty thoughts. And how are those making you feel? It's just a spiral of negative emotions. Are you familiar with um, the, what is it called? The emotional guidance scale? Um, Can you explain it for everybody? Yeah, of course. So this just conversation just sparked and made me think of the emotional guidance scale, which if you Google it, you'll see like an image of a spiral with emotions of different frequencies. So on the lower end of the frequencies, you have like shame, guilt, fear, pain, hurt, whatever. At the higher end of the spiral, you have the higher frequencies like joy, freedom, abundance, love, um, happiness, etc. And so we're talking about that spiral, right? We end up spiraling down, 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 down until you're so far down, you don't even know how to get yourself out of a hole sometimes, right? So when you're down and you don't know how to get yourself out of the hole, oftentimes people will go from, let's say, uh, shame and they want to feel joy. Those are on two opposite ends of the spectrum. So in order to jump from shame to joy, it's very difficult, if not impossible. If you're jumping from shame radically to joy, it's probably not sustainable joy. There's something going on, whether it's a, a big event or a free ticket to you that you went to your like dream concert or something, it's, it's circumstantial. Yeah. So to get from shame to sustainable or lasting joy, instead of trying to make that leap, which is where people get wrong because they're trying to trying, it doesn't happen and they get more frustrated. What you should be doing is moving up the scale of vibrations and emotions. So above shame, let's say is acceptance above acceptance. Let's say is peace above peace. Let's say there's hope above hope. There's uh, trust above trust. There's love above love there's joy right so you move from shame to what did i say acceptance i think i said so mm-hmm. let's say you move from shame and you're just trying to move up just one notch to acceptance how can i come to a place of acceptance and then you once you've come and you've actually mastered and now you're living in a state of acceptance rather than shame okay great now how can i live in a state of what did i say after acceptance i think i said hope how do i how can i live in a state of hope today What can I do? How can I think? Who will I be like? How do I behave if I'm truly living from a place of hope? And that's beautiful. I love that you're giving that example. And even for somebody listening, if you are, do just what she said, like make, write those down. And for everything on that scale, how can you get to that point? What does that look like for you? How are you going to feel when you're feeling hope? What things bring you hope? What does that feel like in your body? Yeah. Right. It's what all about the be, do, have. So like, like you said, what will you see? What will you hear? What will you feel? It's not just intellectual. In fact, it's more important um, to, like you said, feel it in your body and not see it in your mind's eye um, because words are only 7% of communication. Mm-hmm. So it's more important about how you're communicating to yourself and the world. Right. Because all of that are, 
our brains love to create meaning. We're meaning making machines, right? Yeah. <laughs> and so even if like you're saying something like awful to yourself, your body is going to remember that and oh, how yeah. you feel in that moment. And it's going to hold on to that, right? Because the body holds on to trauma and stored emotions, right? It's the mind-body connection. So if you can move yourself up on that scale one emotion or level at a time, right? From acceptance to hope to whatever they are. Like, how is that going to feel in your body? How can you increase that in your body? Right? Yes. That's, that's the work right there. That's beautiful. I'll tag that um, below for anybody that's a visual learner and wants to look at it. For anybody who is just getting started in their healing journey and they're like, oh, this NLP sounds really interesting. Like, where can I learn more about that? Mm. <laughs> Instantly, I'm like, well, Transcend Academy, <laughs> shameless plug right there. <laughs> um, but like, if you're just starting and you're wanting to understand the foundations, I mean, honestly, any of my work, I'm, I do it in all of my work from free content to paid micro programs to my higher level programs, offers and coaching like NLP. It's, it's, it's in me. Like it's a part of me. It's in my way of life. And that's what I teach my clients is that NLP isn't a tool or modality. Like it can be a tool or modality, but it's more about embodying the work to the point where it becomes a lifestyle for you. And that lifestyle then is a blueprint for success. So, um, join my free community. That's the place to start. I would say I have a telegram community, um, where I'm coaching in there daily for free. And everything I do, like I said, is NLP based for the most part. So you can learn more about NLP there or just Google NLP and see what you find on the interwebs. There's probably so many YouTube videos. Uh, plenty, plenty. Um, how are NLP and like the mind body? I know we kind of touched on that for a second a minute ago, like the mind body yeah. connection. How are those related? In so many different ways. It runs very deep, <laughs> right? The mind is not the mind without the body. The body is not the body without the soul. The soul is not the soul without the mind. We're all intertwined. Um, and it runs very deep. But for a simple explanation, this is the easiest way to get your gears turning to kind of understand it. So at any given moment, we are taking in 2.3 million bits of information per second through our five senses. So our sight, our smell, our taste, our touch, our, our hearing, we take in all that information. That's a lot of information to take in consciously. So our subconscious is taking that in. Then our subconscious will bring up to the surface whatever it needs to be relevant to that through to our current moment in reality through filters. So we delete information, we distort information, we generalize information. Deleting information looks like me ending the workday. Uh, or trying to end the workday, I'm responding to my one last client in Telegram and my husband goes, hey, babe, what's for dinner? My conscious mind is focusing on finishing up my workday so that I can be present with my family. So subconsciously, I delete that information. He goes, babe, I'm talking to you. What's for dinner? Still texting. Hello, what's for dinner, babe? And now he's frustrated. I look up, he finally got my attention. I'm like, sorry, I, I was just trying to finish my workday so that I can be present. So that's deleting information because it's not like what's for dinner is not relevant to me finishing my workday. 
Then there's distorting information. We've all done this before. The simplest way to explain this is when you get into a disagreement with a loved one and maybe you, it's like time to kiss and make up and they say, I love you. And one of you snaps back saying, why are you saying it to me like that? Because you're still in like defense mode and they generally meant I love you, but you interpreted it the wrong way. You distorted the information because you still think that that person's like frustrated with you or something. And they're being passive aggressive when really they're genuinely saying I love you. Then there's a generalizing generalizations. Generalizations are like seeing all trees as trees, all dogs as dogs, all lampposts as lampposts when you're driving down the street. Because if you're driving down the street and you're like, oh, this lamppost has a bunch of staples on it. This one has a bunch of posters. This one's a brown post. This one's green. You would crash your car because you're not focusing on the task at hand. So we delete, distort, generalize all this information. Then from there, we have 126 bits of the 2.3 million that are brought up to our conscious mind. That Those 126 bits is what creates your internal representation, which is how you are perceiving reality to be. Your internal representation combined, so that picture in your mind of what you see reality to be combined with your state is going to create your thoughts and beliefs in that given moment. Your thoughts and beliefs will guide you to certain actions because think about it. If you're feeling happy today and motivated today, you're going to show up in your work very differently compared to if you're feeling like a failure, sad, angry, whatever right? So your thoughts and beliefs will create your actions. Your actions will lead to a certain result. So if you want a certain result, then you have to trace it all the way back to what's going on in those filters, which is your time, your location, your mood, the filters being the generalization, deletion, distortion part. So you got to filter it through your time, location, your mood, your memory, your meta programs, which are programs of the mind. And at the deepest, deepest, deepest level of change is values and identity. Now, this is where the body comes into play here, because one, the body is the vehicle that actually allows you to execute and implement what it is that you want. But if there's certain things, and this is where the nervous system comes in as well, if there's certain things in your organization of reality, whether that's negative past memories or values that aren't serving you, your nervous system will not feel regulated. And if you're not feeling regulated, it's actually very hard to move forward in the way that you're wanting to move forward. So that's why it's, yeah, important to look at the beliefs and the thoughts and getting your subconscious mind on board. But it's equally as important to do the body-based wisdom support as well and literally getting the trauma, the shock, the fear, whatever it is, out of your nervous system and moving into your day from a regulated place, which I think is so cool. Cause like, that's where we started this conversation and we're coming back to it. <laughs> I know we're just going full circle. <laughs> <laughs> so what does body-based wisdom look like? Like, how do Ooh. you, yeah. Like, no, you go, you go. <laughs> okay. I'm like, where do I want to go with this body-based wisdom? <sighs> I'm like, do I want to give them a tool or yeah, let's go with a tool. Cause maybe this is a, a new term, right? So I think you mentioned body, the body keeps the score. Did I hear you mention that? Yeah. The body keeps the score. It's a book based off of exactly that. Our body will always remember everything. And that's also because neurotransmitters aren't just in our brain. They're all throughout our body. And our neurotransmitters are those little chemical messengers that tell us 
how to function in a variety of different ways from like emotions and physical functioning and abilities. And so if our neurotransmitters are functioning all throughout our body, then our body is also absorbing any positivity or negativity that you're taking in. A perfect example is oftentimes you'll hear people who have a lot of like shoulder and back and neck issues. It's been linked to um, chronic stress. I might, from the time I was young, my traps are like rocks. No matter how many massages I get, no no matter how much acupuncture I get, they are like rocks. And I'm convinced it's because of the amount of trauma and unhealed emotions I held on to for so long, right up until my 20s. So even though I've done a lot of healing, I there's always gonna be more healing to do. But at that point, my body had kept the store, the score, it stored it all there. And that's why they also say this area is like that, that area. Um, because of like, it's a symbolic of holding the world on your shoulders. And that was also the role I played in my family. I was the peacemaker. I was the youngest. And so, you know, I played the mom role when my mom left, was, wasn't around for it temporarily. I had a brother who went to treatment at a very young age. I was 13. He was 16. He ended up graduating high school in treatment. So he was there for a few years throughout that entire duration. I was the peacemaker between him and my parents. I also played the good girl role of like, oh, I got to be good. I got to stay out of my parents' way because they have enough stuff going on with one of my brothers. Like I just, they don't need any more stuff. So all of that played into just shutting down, going into that hypovigilance, not hyper, but hypovigilance and shutting down and internalizing everything rather than having an outlet to cope with it and make positive meaning of it um, until eventually I did. But we all have those moments. Um, so that's an example of how your body stores it. So when you're storing, um, trauma, it can look in chronic, it can look like chronic pain, chronic mental, uh, thoughts as well, not just physical pain, but emotional pain. And you have to physically release that from the body. If you're familiar with, um, are you familiar with Dr. Peter Levine, somatic experiencing? Mm -mm. Okay. So he is a, I want to say psychologist. Psychiatrist or psychologist, I want to say psychologist, who created somatic experiencing, which is exactly that, a body-based therapy to release and repair trauma. Um, And the whole philosophy behind it is if you look at animals in the wild, what many of them will do when they're hunted is they'll fight, flight, freeze. So they'll either run, they'll fight, or they'll freeze and play dead. Let's assume the the animal plays dead or whatever it is. The animal plays dead, threat's gone. They move on with their life. Before they move on with their life, I saw you do this. They do a shake. They literally shake it off to rewire their nervous system. And then they move on with life. Humans, instead, we absorb the trauma, whether that's a fear, a rejection, a event that didn't go as planned, whatever it might be. We absorb that. We make meaning of it in relation to ourselves and the world. And then we carry that meaning with us for the rest of our life into the world until we have consciously chosen to be aware of it and release it. So yes, you can do the thought pattern work, but you can also literally shake, for example, to release it from your nervous system. That's one of my favorite nervous system regulation um, activities is to you. All you need is three minutes, 
three minutes or more, but three minutes minimum, three minutes of constant shaking. So shake, stomp, like just move your body in weird ways. Let it be silly. I like closing my eyes when I'm doing it so I can get into my body. Um, and I'll also make it fun. I'll make it like a little bit of a day. I'll put on a remix version of shake it off by Florence and the machine. So it's like, shake it off. And I'm just like shaking, shaking. <laughs> um, have fun with it. Like three minutes, put in your morning routine and there you're regulated for the day until maybe you have a stressor, but then you have quick tools that you can pull out of your, uh, toolbox. Yeah. Beautiful. It's kind of is, um, somatic experiencing tied to like the polyvagal Yes. Very. Yeah. 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 Cause I've heard about that one. It's interesting that you said like going back to your childhood, you were the, the peacemaker, the, the good girl. Like how did all of that affect your confidence? Cause I know for me, like I was also those things. I was the peacemaker. I was the good girl. I was the strong one mm-hmm. always, you know? I, yeah. It's and I know it affected my confidence terribly. <laughs> Yes. I was going to say, I was not confident. Like at all who I am today. is not reflective of who I was. I lacked self-esteem in every category of my life. Yeah. Like I didn't think I was good enough in any capacity. I didn't think I was good enough for the boys that I wanted today. I didn't think I was good enough at sports. I was the girl who would always make excuses to sit on a bench in gym class. I would never try anything new in fear of failing at that thing which I mean, you're probably going to fail the first time you do something new, but I would not let myself be in a position where I could even potentially fail because I couldn't handle the letdown of what that might look like to be a failure. And so how did you work through that? Um, That started really when I was in treatment. Like I had this big realization through all the work that I was doing that I'm going to miss out on life if I don't allow myself to get messy and try new things. Um, And I'm not going to be able to really have the life that I want if I don't get uncomfortable. And so I want to say it was exposure therapy at that point, but I just started doing, you know, step-by-step little by little, like expanding that threshold of what I felt like I could versus couldn't handle. Um, And as you do that, you actually build more confidence because you actually see that you are capable of doing things. And even when you're not, you effing tried and you are okay. And you survived. And one thing we say in NLP as well is that there's no such thing as failure, only feedback. So even when you totally miss the mark, you're receiving feedback in a way that's going to either get you to where you want to be or redirect you to actually where you're supposed to be. And that has supported myself and all my clients greatly as well. For sure. I feel like I had very similar like journey for me, right? Because it was not only that, but it was also learning more about myself, right? And figuring out like who I was despite what everybody else told me who I should be, you know, instead of being a strong one in my family or whatever, like, who am I as a person and who do I want to be? Yeah. You know, like what kind of woman did I want to be? Not the person that was like mad or angry all the time who hated her body. I wanted to take care of myself and I wanted to be, I'm going to say strong (laughs) because that's just strong and soft anyway, (laughs) (laughs) but it was that along with the, making the choice that my fear of regret was stronger than my fear of failure. Yes, exactly. So 
I didn't want to be an old lady sitting on my front porch wishing I did all of these things. I just wanted to try it at least. And if I didn't succeed, like you said, it's just feedback and pivots. Yeah. You said it beautifully. That's exactly it. But it didn't happen overnight. Like (laughs) I even remember because I've been with my husband now for six years, but like two years into our relationship, he made a comment. He was like, I really love like that you're a strong, confident woman. And I was like, me? <laughs> I'm a strong, confident woman. Like nobody's ever girl? said that to me. <laughs> like, wow, man, I am a strong, confident woman. Like when the hell did that happen? <laughs> Through all the years of healing, like yeah. you said, you end up looking back and you're like, oh, wow, I, I am a different person, but yeah. you don't realize it as it's happening. Mm-mm. Yeah. Oh, this has been a very fun conversation. I agree. It has. Is there anything that you want to leave the audience with? Mm, Let's see. We have talked about so much in this. I know. (laughs) Like subconscious reprogramming, nervous system regulation, inner child healing, co-regulation. Let's see. What do I want to leave you with? We've even talked about Dark Knight of the Souls. I mean, there's so much that we've covered that... I just want to honor you wherever you personally, you, the listener, um, are on your journey, whether this is completely new to you or you're well-versed in this, you're somewhere in the middle, we're all in different aspects of the journey. And there's also going to be a next step for you in some capacity. There's going to be a next action for you to take a next thought to, or feeling to feel there's definitely something that's going to arise from this conversation. If you're committed to growth, that is, if you're not, then you're probably not even listening anymore. Right. <laughs> uh, so if you're committed to growth, there's going to be some call to action for you personally on your own healing journey in your life, in your career, some way, some shape or form. And one thing that has always kept me going to get to where I am is the saying that my very first coach ever said to me when I first signed the contract, I was terrified, didn't know how to do it, et cetera. I was like, oh my God, what am I doing? Uh, And that was that the transformation is in the yes. So the minute you say yes to something, whatever that next nudge is for you, the minute the universe will get behind your back and start orchestrating people, places, and things in your life for you to move forward. Because you've said yes, you've also stepped into this higher identity where you're actually starting to operate as that person rather than who you are today or yesterday. And so you become more aware and receptive to those people, places, and things that are there for you to get to that next destination, that next healing journey, whatever it is for you. So Whatever crossroad you're in right now, I just want you to really honor yourself and remember that the transformation is in the yes. Mm, That's beautiful. Thank you. And the universe always has your back. I love that. Yes. (laughs) Um, Well, thank you so much, Rachel. I'm going to put all your links in the show notes. So if anybody's listening and you want to go follow, you want to join her programs, you just want to chat, get in her free communities, do it. I highly recommend it. I'll put it in the show notes. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you. It was a great combo. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, babe. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen today. I had so much fun and I'm so fucking grateful for every single one of you. If you thought that this was helpful or you loved any part of this podcast, I would love, love, love for you to screenshot it and post it on Instagram at Chelsea Bree, C-H-E-L-S-E-A-A-B-R-I and take me 
I would love to see what you're getting out of the episodes. It makes me so happy. I would also love it if you'd subscribe to the podcast and leave a review because that just helps other wonderful endo babes find me as well. I adore you and I believe that you don't deserve to feel like shit. You deserve to have a normal life despite endometriosis. So I love you so much and I hope you have a wonderful day and I'll catch you on next week's episode of the Endo Babe Podcast.